Hi everybody, this is Jeff Feingold, editor of New Hampshire Magazine. Oh, New Hampshire. Can we start again? <laughs> <laughs> this is Jeff Feingold, editor of New Hampshire Business Review, with our Down to Business podcast for August 12, 2020. Uh, today we have with us uh, Lisa Ryler, our associate editor, and Ernesto Burden, our publisher and producer. Bob Sanders is uh, has the week off at a undisclosed location in Concord, also otherwise known as his house. But I uh, hope he's relaxing. Jeff, just so you know, I'm I'm leaving that in. All right, I have a feeling you will. I have a feeling you will. That's just okay. so that Rick knows you're coming for his job. I can live with that. I, I'm I'm I'll be the king of all media then. Anyway. Um, uh, I just wanted to say that the first thing today we're going to talk about is something that is not is, has been is not on topic for the current events of COVID and all this other stuff. But I think it's really interesting and it's instructive for maybe a bright spot in New Hampshire's economy going forward. And that is this new law that was signed by the governor that allows New Hampshire to be a place where you can. It makes it easier for companies to road test, if that's the right word, flying cars in New Hampshire or sky test flying cars. They, the, the industry likes this jargon called roadable aircraft, but it just doesn't seem right. And I, I think in terms of a marketing name, that's not good. I think flying cars is great because I think more people say, yeah, I could fly my car. But Lisa, Lisa Rollins has been covering this for us. And Lisa, could you explain a little bit about what this law does and why people are kind of excited about it? Yeah, well, so we have three companies that um, allied together to push for this bill to get passed. Two of them already had a presence in New Hampshire. And what the bill does is it does it allows them to test what first and foremost is thought of as uh, an aircraft, but has the ability to drive on the road, too. So it has it's like getting in an airplane that has a steering wheel. And um, so this bill allows them to register the car um, with the DMV and with the FAA. And so that way they can, they had to figure out some nuances, like for instance, you know, uh, each aircraft has a number with the FAA. They did decide to use that also as the vehicle identification number with the DMV. So just kind of some very, you know, um, uh, like registration uh, details that they had to figure out so that they could then legally drive these roadable aircraft or flying cars on the road and that way they would be able to test to that transition from flying landing and then most of them only take a minute or two to transition to a car now i now just to get this clear why people are excited about this is because as you as you're reporting in your story that will appear in the next issue of the business review uh the uh it's the first state in the country to tackle this issue that's what's interesting and that's why the people i guess are thinking that other other uh, flying car companies might say well let's go to new hampshire because they've already they're they're ahead of the rest of them of everybody else yes and I, I think it's because of these two companies that already had a presence in new hampshire one of them uh terrafugia they are a subsidiary of a chinese company that also owns volvo and they have already uh, done some testing and have a customer service center at Nashua Airport. And then Pal V, 
they are a three-wheeled gyrocopter is what they call themselves, their Liberty vehicle. And they already had an office at Manchester Airport. And so obviously they'd been testing their vehicles at the airport. So they wanted to be able to take them on the road legally. Um, so th this is kind of how the legislation formed was the two of them talking together. Then they pulled in this third um, company that they thought was really one of the industry leaders. They're out in Oregon, that's Samson Sky. They, their aircraft is a little different. They are kind of like a kit. So it's like a hobbyist thing where you would buy this airplane but you would build 51% of it. So these three companies uh, decided to uh, push this legislation in New Hampshire because like I said, two of them already were here and they found that they, um, I don't know, thought that with New Hampshire and the structure of the legislature, um, you know, they were able to hold a session where they had all the stakeholders present earlier this year. And it just seemed like a very easy process for them to introduce their legislation, bring, whole, bring together um, representatives from the uh, Division of Aviation at the New Hampshire Department of Transportation and the DMV to figure out the details. And they were able to push this through. So the idea is they'll, they'll test this out and they think that New Hampshire is a good spot too to launch these products because well one we are known for having uh, individuals that you know have a bigger wallet so maybe they would be interested in this and North America too is known as uh, you know a great market for recreational aircraft vehicles. Yeah, and that's that's something interesting to me. What what kind of a market are they talking about? I mean, it's this is obviously uh, you know, not everybody has a pilot's license, and I, I assume you need a pilot's license to fly one of these. I hope. So, how 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 is what's the future of the industry, at least in the near term? Well, it is. It's going to be an expensive aircraft because um, they're saying like three hundred thousand dollars. So not everybody is going to be able to fly this aircraft. And you're right. You do need a pilot's license. Um, I, I wish I had the stat for the number of pilots that are licensed in New Hampshire. I had looked at that figure, you know, it is in the low thousands. Um, so uh, it's interesting. I mean, with the price of the vehicle, obviously, if they, as they keep selling them, I'm sure they have a pretty good um, profit margin. I will say I did find there are 609,000 pilots registered in the U.S. Um, so, and I think they, they're thinking too that they might have some people that are just so interested in the concept of a flying car that they might go and take lessons to get their pilot's license. I know that Pal V has partnered with um, an instructor who is based in Ireland, but gives um, virtual, uh, you know, not just a seminar, but kind of, you know, training um, for pilots. Obviously, you need to have the um, in-person training as well. So, uh, but these companies, so Pal V has uh, partnered with this individual. The other two, uh, have told me, well, they expect people to do that with a different, you know, do that separately, get their pilot's license, and then approach them if they're interested in um, buying the vehicle. Yeah, you know, and, and and also the thing that strikes me is that these vehicles, it's not like you're going to get one of these and fly across to California. They have a pretty limited span, uh, a flight, flight span, whatever, length, duration. And also is it it also runs on regular gasoline, right? Isn't that part of what the deal is here? It's not jet fuel or aviation fuel. So they can go, you can go from, let's say, uh, northern New Hampshire to Boston, maybe. Is that what you're thinking? Is that what they're thinking that they, uh, the span of time that they could fly or a little longer? They they could fly a little longer to that. Like I'm thinking probably like New Hampshire to say the Carolinas or something like oh, that. Yeah. I mean, they, they have told me it depends on the vehicle, but it could fly 
um, three to five hours. So that I was thinking that when I've taken a commercial airplane from the east to west coast, that took you know five to six hours. So I do agree that I think it's pushing it to think you can fly yeah. all the way to California in one go. But um, but I think you can fly a little a little longer than just say you know New Hampshire to New York, um, and then they they have their details too in terms of how much you know how much uh, can a tank of gasoline uh, last in terms of flying as well as driving because it, it's true it is the same gasoline that you would use in your car that's used for both um, you know options of the vehicle and uh, I think it's interesting too that a lot of these planes um, have uh, extra uh, propellers in case one were to fail they have a backup so they've really thought this through in terms of what could potentially you know, just making sure that if anything were to go wrong, they have a backup plan. And because they're playing, well, I guess maybe the gyrocopter. I, I don't, I, I don't know if you know the answer to this, but is it like kind of thing where you're stuck in a traffic jam? Uh, on, uh, you know, in Boston, you could just turn on the helicopter rotors and fly up over the uh, traffic and head to the Cape that way. Or maybe, I mean, is it, it's not possible. No, could you? You maybe technically you could, but in terms of the FAA, you probably shouldn't. <laughs> Well, Lisa, that was actually what I was going to ask is um, it, it obviously, uh, you know, Jeff's thinking about Boston. I'm thinking about coming back down 93 to uh, Manchester <laughs> on a Sunday afternoon yeah, true. Uh, during the high season and thinking, boy, it'd be great to just be able to take off right around Tilton, you know, and, and fly the rest of the way. But I imagine that, um, you know, if somebody is registering their flying car with the DV, DMV and the FAA, that there are also regulations about when and where you can take off, when and where yeah. you can land, things like that, that would preclude somebody from just landing on 93, yeah. like, or whenever. It, like, and, and are any of those rules rolled out yet? Uh, well, that's the thing is it's not exactly like the Jetsons where you could take off from wherever you are. Um, you do have to either go to, uh, you know, an airport that you are allowed to, you know, it could be like a private airport that's open to the public um, or, you know, uh, you'd have to work out the details with uh, Manchester, Boston Regional Airport. But uh, the other thing, too, is, I mean, if you have own a lot of land and you fly up to northern New Hampshire, for instance, all you need is 900 feet for an airstrip to take off. Now, I say only. I mean, I don't know how many of us have, you know, extra room for an airstrip. But uh, they're envisioning that these are people that, you know, have the money and the time to fly to remote locations. Like for instance, my parents live near um, Sanford Municipal Airport in Maine. And I know there's lots of hobbyists that fly into here. So you could fly from, you know, uh, Manchester, Sanford, Maine. You could go to Kenny Bunkport, Maine, go out for dinner and then come back to your airplane and go immediately back. So you do have to go airport to airport or if you have enough land, then you can go straight from where you live. Um, but, uh, but again, see, I'm thinking of it like it's just an aircraft. It's not. It's also a vehicle. So that's the point is that you can fly airport to airport, but then it transforms into a vehicle. The propellers will or the helicopter, you know, um, blades will fold in and then you just drive straight to your house. And so it's simple like that. You don't need to get a taxi. That's really I have to say this is an idea that probably has wings or <laughs> maybe it will take off in New Hampshire, we hope. But anyway, Lisa, thanks very much, and we'll be right back. Okay, uh, I think now that we've had our fill of uh, flying, we'll get more down to earth, and 
have our favorite live event correspondent, the man who braved an event earlier this month in at the Manchester Country Club to report to us about it. And he went to another one. Was it last night, uh, Ernesto, did you say, or two nights ago? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I went to the, uh, last night was the Manchester Chambers. Last night. First live event, I believe, uh, since, since the shutdown. And it was, uh, it was called the NH Fisher Cats Summer Mixer. So was that the Fisher Cats Stadium? It was. North, yeah. Um, yeah. Northeast Delta it, Dental Stadium, I should say. I'm sorry. Yes, uh, and it, it um, and it, you know, what it, uh, what it allowed was the um, the chamber members who attended were were able to sign a release and do essentially batting practice, um, and and shag the 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 resulting fly balls from that batting practice uh, if it wasn't their turn to bat. And and then obviously visit with other chamber members and things like that. So so the thing that that I'm most interested in, and I'm sure you were since you went there, was the turnout. What was what was it like? And you know that you talked about the, uh, the the well low turnout for the BIA event earlier this month. And now what was it like for at uh, the Fisher Cats? Sure. So I you know I think um, and I I didn't haven't had a chance to uh, to touch base uh, with. Mike Skelton, the, the chamber president, this morning. But I, I do know that, you know, while I was there, looked like, you know, it made 25, 30 people maybe turn out. And and the, uh, I think it was a, a few less than they had registered. Um, they did have some people drop out at the last minute. But honestly, uh, I, I don't know how much of that might have been related to last minute concerns about uh, COVID versus the fact that it was 97 at three o'clock yeah. yesterday afternoon. It was 97 and it was also 90, but it was also probably about a hundred or so with the uh, heat factor going. It probably felt, felt like over a hundred. So yeah, it, it was, was a hot day. Yeah. It was warm. And I, you know, I have to say I, being there, it was very pleasant. It was uh, set up in the shade and, and there was a nice breeze. And um, so even, even wearing a dress shirt, I was not a puddle of sweat. Although I, I, I should have thought about dress code before I showed up and, and maybe worn a t-shirt to go to batting practice. But, um, but you know, I, you know, thinking back, you know, even your comment, you know, you had mentioned that, that the turnout was low for the BIA event. And I do, you know, I, it was definitely lower than they anticipated. And it was, you know, that back then they, they had uh, 115 registered and then it dropped down to 80 after people changed their mind at the last minute and then really you only, uh, you know, you had fewer than that show up, you know, like 35, uh, maybe 40. And the, um, you know, so that, that's low compared to what they thought, yeah. don't, you know, but I'm still interested in, in those 30 people that showed up and, you know, at that one and the same with last night, you know, the, the folks who showed up, you know, what does that say about a segment of the population that's ready to go back and do that versus versus really a large segment that's not ready to go back and do that? Yes. Ernesto, I wanted to ask you a question about the networking experience. So how was it with uh, those that were at the event? Um, how was, you know, we always think of New Hampshire is such a tight-knit community where people love to network. What was it like at this event where it was a smaller gathering? 
So I think, you know, I'll kind of answer that by looking at both of the events, because I think I, I felt like there was a little bit of a similar tone there, which is that, that people did come and I think they, they sat down with the people or they, they gathered around, in this case, a high top table with the people that, that they had come with. And it's not that they didn't chat to other, with other people, but I think there was this sense that if you're sitting with the people that you came with and you you got your drink, you can take your mask off and drink the drink and have a conversation, but then you're putting the mask back on to go talk to people you might not know and you're kind of shouting through the mask. And, um, you know, all of that just, it adds a layer of complexity um, to walking up and having a random conversation with a stranger that wasn't there before. And so I think it's a little bit harder. It, it, it's it, it to me it it seems like from what from what I've heard from you and others who've attended similar functions, who have also attended the functions and and talked about their experience, that it is different. It's a different experience. You, you're going to be gravitating towards people you know, as opposed to at most business networking events, what you're doing is trying to meet people you don't know. You you're trying to reach out a little bit more, but there's a comfort factor, a comfort level involved with this. Right. Which is and, something that we've never experienced before in this kind of event. Yeah. Now, now, you know, I think there is a human nature factor too for de depending on who you are. You know, if you're a, um, you know, if you're a, an extrovert and 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 you love yeah. walking up to complete strangers and having conversations, um, and that feeds your soul, you're you're will have always been doing that. And but you know, there there are also a lot of people who kind of come to those kind of events with people they know talk to people they know and then work up their courage to go talk to to strangers yeah. um that was definitely me when i was younger you know yeah. i was you know that that took some effort to do yeah it and, does. i'm sure it's i mean I, it's still to this day it's like if when you're in a crowd where you don't know anybody you go okay where do i go now <laughs> yeah well, so, so 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 there's a little bit you know in some ways it may be that that having the virus out there is enhancing people's natural tendency to want to kind of cluster up and hang out with people they know. Yeah. Uh, but, um, you know, but I also, I, you know, again, I can't help but look at it as a fairly positive step in that, that these organizations that are, um, that are testing these waters are doing it in, you know, a fairly, I guess a scaled back kind of way. You know, if you look at um, you know the 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 planned attendance, uh, even not 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 the final attendance, but the planned attendance for the BIA thing was 115 people versus the 300 you could have fit in that room. And then and then at both events, you know, there there are hand sanitization stations, and all the people who came were wearing their masks, and there were masks there on the check-in table for for people if they had shown up for some reason without one and and you know it, it seemed like there was there was a good amount of precaution being taken by everybody to create this kind of safe and responsible environment and and i think you know one of the things about the the fisher cats uh venue is i was talking to uh, the general manager there and and he was telling me that that you know that's really a thing that for them has become a focus right now when they're not able to to play games is is having events 
um, and they're having business-related events. They're they're having arts events. He's he's partnered with the the Palace Theater to put on a, a summer concert series that that is going on right now. They've got um, here's a plug. Uh, the 14th and the 15th, this Friday and Saturday, the music of uh, or the music of Billy Joel on the 14th and the music of Jimmy Buffett on the 15th, and then stuff going on all the way up through um, September. Uh, they, they, you know, they're they're basically they have the stage out on the field, um, and you and they have seats marked off, seating areas marked off on the grass, so cool. that people. I think there are like 10 foot boxes that are painted where people can have their blanket and and sit out there uh, with the party that they came with, and then and then more seating behind that, but all nicely spaced out and stuff. So I have to say, I have to say as, as a venue for music, it's not bad. I remember seeing Bob Dylan there several years ago. And the sound was really very good actually just to help uh, it, it, uh, persuade people who want to go yeah no i'm i'm very curious about that i think it, it seems like a, you know it's a great thing for them to be able to do to continue to stay visible right as a yeah. as a venue because it you know th this time of year you know how many games would they typically be playing over the course of a summer is it something like 70 games yeah yeah i don't even know i don't even know if at that time how many they have that might be their whole their whole schedule is probably about eighty or so, maybe maybe a hundred. But I, I I don't maybe they have sixty games there. I'm not quite sure. But it's okay, not, well, so yeah. there, but there, you know, there would be that visibility. There would be all the the, the people coming and going, and the, the sort of the promotions for those games. And I think they've been really creative uh, in the ways that they've looked to to yeah. replace that visibility with um, with these other kind of events. Um, I, uh, he showed me a picture of the table set up for, for doing some formal kind of dining on the infield and the tables are all set up along the baselines. And all of that is is, is pretty cool. And it seems like a, a, an interesting and creative way to cross over between um, a period of not doing any events and a period of, uh, and, and maybe still not being ready to do inside events. Yeah. That's really cool. Well, actually, I want to, now that we're talking about events, I was going to talk about one that for people who don't want to venture out yet, but would still like to, to attend an event. We have a virtual event coming up, a big one for us, the Powered by Women event, which is going to be September 18th. That's a Friday. It's going to be a virtual event uh, uh, featuring five, five women who are really quite amazing uh, by themselves, really remarkable women who talking about their experiences, in business, how they got where they are, offering their whole their insights into uh, what it is to be successful, how they got to be successful, their hurdles, the roadblocks they faced. Uh, it's a third the third year we're doing this, and we're really excited about it. And if you want to check it out, I think it's definitely worth it. That's powered by women. Just check it out on nhbr.com. Uh, anyway, uh, Vanessa, thanks very much for giving us your live event report. We'll have to get a maybe get a sponsor for this. That yes, segment. The, yes, the hazmat suits. That's right. <laughs> no, I, I want to be really clear. I feel like I feel like that both of these events that I've been to were handled in a uh, like in a in a safe and responsible. Oh yeah, absolutely. I, absolutely. I didn't feel like I was, um, you know, obviously all of life involves some risk, and 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 um, but but I didn't feel like I was. Uh, endangering my yeah. so oh, I didn't I didn't mean to imply that I just you know I'm saying that there are there are people who you know be considering the times we're in who have a little trepidation about it absolutely uh, anyway. not, not yeah. unreasonably I'm, I'm exactly 
I hear them as well. Uh, but uh, I, I, more than anything, I want to call out, I think, in a positive way, the, organ the way that these organizations are handling yeah. this. Definitely, definitely. Uh, all right. So anyway, so we'll uh, we'll see you again next week, and uh, hope you uh, will tune in. And this is Jeff Feingold from the Hampshire Business Review with Ernesto Burden and Lisa Ryla. Uh, take care, everybody, and be well.